You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, Pastor Josh preaches from Philippians 4, 1 through 9, continuing our series in the book of Philippians. In this passage, the Apostle Paul instructs us not to be anxious and talks about the peace of God that guards our hearts and minds when we call on Him. Paul also instructs us about what should dominate our thoughts and practices as we follow Christ. As always, we pray that God will speak to us through his word today. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your copy of God's word, would you open to Philippians chapter 4? Philippians 4 verses 1 through 9 is our text for today. Uh, as you are turning there, I want to, to get you up to speed on something. Many of you are like, hey, if you're bringing us up to speed, Josh, you are way behind. Uh, Tuesday, this Tuesday, like a few days from today, uh, is our, our annual Women's Ministry Christmas Gathering. Um, this year we have Tara Lee Cobble, who is going to be uh, the main presenter here. And you may say, that name sounds familiar. Has anybody in the room, by show of hands, play my game, it's going to be interactive. Are you ready? Has anybody listened to the Bible Recap Podcast? Okay, this is Tara Lee Cobble. She will be right here in this room, and it is going to be an absolutely great time for our people to gather together. Now, this is a women's event. I know all the men said, oh, I know, I know. But we, we have worked some things out. Um, I think there will be some gentlemen on the very shadowy top row uh, across the top during that event as well. Uh, we're not going to kick you out, but we're not letting you sit up front. That being said, ladies... You need to get your tickets if you have not already done so. Yesterday, I asked for a count. It was at 800 uh, yesterday morning, those who were registered to come. Uh, and so we got an update this morning. What is the count? Thinking about 820, 830. It is over 900 this morning. We are excited to, to see what the Lord is going to do on Tuesday. The reason I'm telling you this is because you can still get your tickets for you and your friends. They're $25 at the door. You can pick up your wristbands right out this way. Uh, and so make sure right over there by the fireplace, you can go and pick that up today. Uh, just knowing the schedule for the day, the, the holiday market opens at 4, and it'll go right up until time at 7 when Tara Lee is going to come and speak, uh, and she'll roughly go for about an hour, okay? So, so hopefully we will be out of here around 8 o'clock. Wanted you to be aware of that, but I also wanted us to spend just a few moments this morning in prayer together. And so if you would join me, I'm going to give you just a few moments of silence on my end and ask that you would go before the Lord and you would ask the Lord to move in a mighty and powerful way this Tuesday at this event. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we do thank you for the opportunity that we have um, every, every Sunday to gather here. But I'm thankful, Lord, that the church is not limited to Sunday for one hour. I'm thankful, Father, that the church is your people. And everywhere we go and everywhere we gather, we are to, to make much of you and to build one another up. And, Lord, I pray that the event this Tuesday would be an incredible expression of that. Um, Lord, I, I'm thankful for Tara Lee Cobble. I'm thankful for her ministry and, 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 and the, the power and impact that it's had over the course of, of these last many years. But Lord, I'm so thankful that when your people gather in your name, God, you, you promise to be there and there to be encouragement and joy from it. And so, Lord, I pray blessing on all those who would come and to be a part of this ministry. I pray over the market, God. I pray that uh, as, as opportunity would, would have it, Lord, there would be great and many gospel conversations. 
Please, Lord Jesus, make much of your name through all of our efforts, especially this Tuesday evening. Lord, we love you with all that we are, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for, for being a church who prays, being a church who gives, so we can, we can do events like this on this coming Tuesday. Um, but as we turn our attention to God's Word this morning, uh, this is probably the passage that when we started Philippians that you have been waiting for, because this is probably the passage that is the most well-known in the entire letter that Paul writes to the church at Philippi. Uh, this is the, the don't be anxious passage, right? So, so this is verses 1 through 9 today, uh, and as we look to this, I pray, and even though you've probably heard this or read this or quoted this or written this down a hundred times, I pray that today it would be more fresh than it's ever been. I pray that no matter what you, what you bring in with you, I know that there is a lot, because I know that you are fallen, and I know that we live in a fallen world, and in that, there is a lot of angst. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of moments that, that cause us to say and to do things that in our hearts we believe that we wouldn't normally say and do. And we wonder, how did we get to that moment? Well, I believe the Apostle Paul is going to, to speak to that very clearly today. And when we get to verse 1, which we're about to read, I want to be clear, maybe even in your own Bible. I know the ESV translators, and at least in, in how they are going to, to, to put the, the, the headings around Verse 1 is actually a part of the end of chapter 3. And if you look at your Bible, it may look that way because the new heading doesn't come until the beginning of, of verse 2, right? So if you're looking at Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, you're, you're really going to tie that to the end. And as Pastor Richard helped us understand last week, and by the way, didn't that brother do a great job preaching last Sunday? Yes. He is spending some time with family today, and so here's what I would challenge you to do for Pastor Richard. If you get the chance, and I pray that you would find that chance by, by, by seeking it out, encourage him, because it is no small thing to stand up here before you wonderful people and preach God's word, uh, particularly for people who, who don't do it that very often. This room can be incredibly intimidating, and he did beautifully as he preached God's word last week. So with that, if you would take some time this week to write him a letter, send him a text, write an email, whatever it would be, would you encourage him? But as he helped us understand through the end of chapter three, and we'll see in verse one today, our call, our highest goal, our greatest prize is Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, he is the one. When we get to heaven, it is not going to be about the ones who have gone before us. It's not going to be about the mansion. It's not going to be about the pearly gates. It's not going to be about the streets of gold or the sea of glass. It is going to be about the one who sits on the throne. And in Revelation, there's this beautiful picture that, that is depicted that there is no sun and there is no moon, for the illumination of heaven comes from Christ himself. And there is this beautiful picture that Paul is drawing our attention to from the first century, from now until eternity, that our eyes should be set on Christ and Christ alone. That is the backdrop of verse 1. Look with me, if you will, Philippians 4, verse 1. So therefore, my brothers... Whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Now, as we get closer to the end of this letter, it's almost as if we can feel the apostle's energy and his emotion and his love for this church begin to ramp up even more. And he tells them, look, above everything else I've said, above all the things that I've brought before you, stand firm in the Lord. This has really been the theme of the letter from the beginning, that when we stand firm in the Lord, 
That is the place that we're going to find unending joy. And the words stand firm. And it, it sounds maybe metaphorical, but, but it's not. It's, it's this idea that in our hearts, we are going to resolve that Jesus is our Lord. That he is our king, he is our defender, and he is our greatest prize. We're going to resolve that before we get out of bed in the morning. We're going to resolve that as we go throughout our day. We're going to resolve that when we come back home into our places of dwelling. And we are going to say, Christ is the Lord. But even with the apostles' great encouragement, with his passionate plea, sometimes we can miss the joy that's set before us because it would seem right that if we just woke up every morning and we said, Jesus, you're the Lord. We know that, that individually we belong to you and collectively we belong to you. God, you have called us out of darkness into light. You have given us a mission that's bigger than ourselves. This joy is inexpressible. That should be a good thing. But you know what? Sometimes even in a really healthy and vibrant church that we see in Philippi, and I would even say that we see at Broadmoor, sometimes we can miss the joy that the Lord sets right before our eyes. I want you to see what happens in this incredibly vibrant church. Look at verse 2 and verse 3. Paul says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syndike to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, that please help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, we don't know anything more about these two ladies, but we can assume whatever argument they had was epic. For Paul wrote it down and God saw fit for it to be remembered for eternity. I can imagine them in heaven every time someone reads this passage. Look what you did, Odia. You got us remembered forever. I can't even with you. As funny as that verse may sound, I am so thankful that it is recorded in the Bible. Why? Because it's real life. In a church that loves God, that's engaged in the work of Christ's kingdom advancement, there are disagreements. There are fights. There are folks who have a hard time getting along. We know, we, we know this, we know that Paul isn't saying that this is the type of relationships that should be the norm in the church, nor is he saying that it should be found in the church at all, but they are. Why? Because it goes back to what I said in the intro, that, that you and I are fallen, and we live in a fallen world. And so even on our best days, our brokenness tends to shine through. But we see it right here. We see in a church that, that I would say, easily, easily, compared to any other letter that Paul writes, this is the most encouraging. To any other church that Paul writes to, he is the most loving to these people. Not, not very often is he going to give a reprimand or, or you're not doing this rightly. He is going to say, brothers and sisters, you are doing well, but keep going. But even still in a church like this, there's Odia and there's Syndicate. And they're struggling, and, and, and he has to, to tell the church, look, remind, remind the ladies, we're all on the same team. We're, we're, not, we're not trying to fight one another. Paul gives them, the Odia and Syndicate, and all of us a challenge. He says, agree in the Lord. Essentially, it's this. However big your disagreement, if you agree in the Lord, if you agree that, that he is Christ, that he is the king, that we are on this mission for his glory and the good of those that are around us, 
whatever the disagreement is, no matter how big it is in the moment, if it is in Christ, it is small by comparison. And effectively, it, it shouldn't matter. At least it shouldn't matter enough for a fight. It shouldn't matter enough for a fight to allow the, the enemy to get a foothold inside Christ's church. But if you've been around church long enough, you know that disagreements can come from anyone about anything just about at any time. But usually, now this, this, is, a, this is a generalization, okay? They are centered on personal preference. That's, that's generally what these types of fights are about. Personal preference. I like this, you like this, but I like this more than you like this. And they have zero, zero kingdom impact. Right? All right? So, so it may sound something like this. And I, surely we would not have these at Broadmoor. Surely. But other churches is what I'm talking about. The color of the carpet. You ever been in a church like that? Chairs or pews? Hymns or praise songs? Dressed up or dressed down? Not joking. One of the biggest arguments I've ever had to moderate as a pastor in a church was over Cajun seasoning. (laughs) Wednesday night meal was coming up, and we had two folks in the kitchen at New Palestine, and they would not agree on the Cajun seasoning that was going to be used in the red beans and rice. It was Cajun booze or it was going to be Tony Satchery's. I can't believe, seriously, I can't believe we called a deacon's meeting to make sure that we could squash the problem. That's not a joke. They were ready to throw hands over Cajun seasoning. Now, if you know Cajuns, you're like, well, Josh, it's really not outside the norm. I get it. But in the church, whatever Cajun seasoning we're going to use has no, no impact on how we're going to make disciples. I know Cajuns may disagree. We'll get to that. Paul urges these women and everyone else reading this letter to agree in Christ and to help one another to agree in Christ. Here here, here are the agreeable things. We know that Jesus is Lord. We know that this is his kingdom. We know that this is his church. And we know that our names are already written in the book of life. So with those things, what is there left to fight about here? That's the tension. That's the tension when we get into moments like this with with Odie and Syndicate, and they're they're having this tension. Again, we don't know what it's about. Could be something way more important than this. But Paul is saying, look, you you got to help them remember. Look, there's there's no reason to fight because Christ is king. We're a part of his kingdom. We, we, We are called to be on mission for him in this this church belongs to him, and our names are already written in the book of life. There's, there's no reason to get distracted by silly and trivial things. And you may say, Josh, I understand that fighting over seasoning for the red beans and rice is silly and trivial. But there are things sometimes that bother me. There are things that I believe that are important, and that makes me want to, to cause me to voice my opinion. And so, Josh, are you saying that I can't do that? No, 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 no. I'm not saying that that Christ's church isn't a place that people can't voice their concerns. We we can certainly feel safe to voice differing opinions, right? But what I am saying is Christ's church is not a place where people should fight over their preferences or comforts just because they like it more or just because it's more enjoyable to them. This church isn't about you and it's not about me. It's about Christ our King. It's about advancing the gospel at all cost with all that we are and all that our life would be. 
And so with that, that is just a reminder. So, so with that, how do we focus and fight for unity and not fight one another? Well, Paul gives the answer in the remaining verses today. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, we typically read verse 4 to get us to the next set of verses. But I don't want us to miss this powerful setup. Paul uses a word here that's reserved for some pretty amazing and powerful moments in Scripture. The word rejoice. The the Greek here is kairo, right? And and it's this idea of a great and sudden celebration. Uh, We are in the Christmas season. Do you remember when the wise men, they're coming to, to see Jesus, the one, the one who, who was prophesied to come, and they're, they're, they're meeting, uh, and then all of a sudden they look up and they see the star in the sky, and it says, all of a sudden they celebrate and says, look, there it is. It's the same word here. They, they rejoiced. It was a sudden and urgent expression of celebration. Paul says, Let this expression fill your heart and mind whenever you think about Jesus. Now, here's our understanding of it. That when we do that, the infighting in the church should come to a grinding halt. That's a a strange thing. And again, if if you're not from Broadmoor, you say, well, Josh is grinding an ax today. Who's in a fight? What are we doing? Let's call him out right now. No, no. we, We preach verse by verse. This was next in line. I don't know if you're beefing right now, but if you are, listen. With that, though, what Paul says, that we should rejoice in the Lord, how often? Always. And he says, and again, I say, rejoice. If we would see, when we think about Christ, we would see his splendor and majesty. There's no room for fighting. There's no room for personal preference. The only room there is is, Lord, here I am. Send me. Let's go. There's excitement here in the text. But Paul goes on. Look at verse 5. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So the word reasonableness, that, that's out of the ESV. Uh, another, another word that maybe your Bible translation has, but another word that I think is a better fit here is gentleness. And it's this, this idea that in the chaos, be gentle and calm. But how? It says, because the Lord is near. The best way that I understand, and this is just my personal experience, okay? The best way I understand this meaning is an interaction that I have many times with my kids, my wife too. But there have been times, a few times in our kids' lives where, where they have felt alone and they have felt scared. Usually it's in their room at night. It's dark. Their mind begins to race. What was that noise? What's that shadow? Is there somebody else in this room with me? And terror begins to fill their heart and mind. And we will walk into the room. I'll walk into the room and check on them. And as soon as they realize it's me, they yell out, Dad! And they fall back in their bed. I know, parents, you've experienced something like that with your kids. Or maybe, parents, you've experienced something like that with something else where you were terrified, but the presence, just the presence of something else or someone else took fear and stopped it in its tracks and allowed you to rest almost instantaneously. That's the picture that the apostle paints here. He says, let your reasonableness be known, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is near. When we're anxious and keyed up, tense in moments like this, let calm and gentleness flood our hearts and mind. Why? Because the Lord is near to us. 
That's what Paul is saying to the Philippian church and to us. Let your gentleness be known to everyone because Jesus is here and he's not leaving. Because the Lord is near. Paul gives the church a directive that is to be practiced over the course of their life. Look at verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything. Notice Paul doesn't say that there's nothing to be anxious about. There's plenty. But we don't have to be anxious about anything. Why? Because Jesus is near. All right. If we're not to be anxious, and there are certain things to be anxious about, but we're not supposed to be anxious, what are we to do? Well, the Bible says that that the Lord is near to us, and so we need to reckon ourselves or to believe ourselves or establish in our own hearts and minds that we are near to him, that we are there, and in that, we are to be prayerful. Paul continues. Look at verse, uh, the end of verse 6. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. So, so three things, I think, or maybe churchy words that sometimes we just kind of lump together, right? So prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. But I want to, to give you more of operational definition of these, okay? So in prayer, it is simple. It is not to be overthought, but it is in just communication with the Father, that we come to God and we speak with him and we sit quietly as he would speak to us. I know a lot of times when we think about prayer, we think about it in a way that we have our list of needs and, and fears and desires and wants. And we once, we once we give that list, we will say, and in Jesus' name, amen. But I would encourage you that that is only half a prayer. The, the, the art of prayer, the practice of prayer, mostly is just sitting and being, and mostly quiet as you sit and be, to listen, to allow the Spirit to speak to your heart, to speak to your mind, to to remind you that the Lord is near. The Lord is not here for your click list. He already knows what you need before you pray, and so that should not be the heart and the, 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 the passion behind our praying. Our praying should be to sit with the one who invites us in. And so that's what Paul says with prayer. And then another big word that we don't use often, but the practice we use all the time. It's called supplication. This is where we offer to him the things that we need, or we think that we need, or we think that we desire. It is this idea of, of Lord, I need this, or, or someone else would need this. The, these, are, these are things that we feel that we are missing, that, that the Lord would provide for us, or maybe it's something that we have that we don't want, and so we bring that to the Lord uh, on, on our behalf or someone else's behalf. And then the art of thanksgiving. Now, I know we just had the Thanksgiving holiday. This Thanksgiving predates that by an eternity. This Thanksgiving is just being thankful in your attitude and understanding. And so, again, a lot of times when we pray, it is what we need or what we desire or things that we have that we don't want. We ask God to take those things away. How often is it that we just sit and we be and we thank God for what we have? We thank God for our family, our home, our vehicles, our jobs. We thank God for our friends. We thank God for his nearness. We thank God for the joy that's in our heart that is unexplainable. We, we used to, if you grew up in, in church, there was a song that we used to sing. It was called Count Your Many Blessings. Anybody grew up singing that song? Count your many blessings. Name them what? One by one. Count your many blessings. What? See what God has done. 
count your blessings. Sorry, I'm not going to do it. It would be fun, though. It would be fun. Mike hates rolling his eyes right now. I guarantee it. But it is the practice of the Christian to be thankful. If, if we don't have to be anxious, and instead we are called to come and pray, and in that prayer we are to come and to, to, to sit, just to be, to offer up needs. Yes, that, that is part of praying, but that's not the all of praying. But then to be thankful, to say to God, thank you for everything that you've done. And here's, here's a, a practice I would love to, to share with you. It is simple. It is so elementary, but it is life-changing. I do believe that anytime you experience something in your day, breathe a prayer of gratitude. Like, like when, you're, when you're walking and there's no pain. As a kid, I didn't know that was a thing. As a 40-year-old man who takes ibuprofen like it's a multivitamin, it's a thing. So when I wake up and my big toe doesn't hurt and my knees aren't aching, praise God. When I get in my car and it cranks, praise God. When the air condition works in the summer and the heater works in the winter, praise God. When there's two pieces of bread left in the bread bag, praise God. Even if they're the ends, turn them around, act like it's not. Surely I can't be the only one. Okay. Church, let's not miss this. The best gift, the most thankful that we should be, sure, all the things that he has given to us, is a restored relationship with the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is near. Sure, there are plenty of things to be anxious about or fearful of. Going back to Odia and Syndicate. I know that there was probably something that, that really bugged them, and, and it was something that they could not agree upon. But there is no need for it to split the efforts of the church. Why? Because the Lord is near. So, if that's true, then let us, let us talk to him. Let us focus on him, rest in him, rejoice in him, so that when we do that, church, the Bible promises that supernatural things begin to happen. You say supernatural. What do you mean, Josh? Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice it doesn't say. It doesn't say, and God will give you what you want. It doesn't say, just keep believing because your moment is coming. But it does say, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Don't miss this powerful imagery. God isn't just near to us and uninvolved and unengaged. He stands guard over our hearts and minds that are sealed in Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful image. That God, the God of creation, has come down to us. This is the beauty of Christmas. We're getting ready for it. It's going to be exciting. That when he comes, Emmanuel, God with us, he doesn't just come and then sit on earth unengaged from us. But he comes inside of our life and he stands guard over our hearts and minds that are sealed in Jesus Christ. And because this is true, because the Lord is near, because he stands guard over our hearts and minds, we are free to live not in fear, not anger, not in sadness, and not in the lies of the enemy. We are called to something more, something better, something higher. Look at verse 8 and 9. Finally, brothers. Whatever is true, 
whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So our worship team comes and we move into our time of response. There's a very practical way that God calls us to experience joy. As we are, we are finding joy, not in ourselves and not just in the situations that we are in or we are no longer in, but we find our joy in Jesus Christ. Here's how we fight to maintain that joy at all times. Whatever is true, focus on that. Whatever is honorable, focus on that. Just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, focus on those things. Now again, I don't think that we would have to, but if, if you would just take a few moments and think of the opposite of each of these. Don't focus on that. I, I think that, of course, the Apostle Paul is spirit-led. I think that what he writes is spirit-led. I think there's beauty in the very first thing that he calls us to train our minds on and not to train our minds on. If it is true, think on it, focus on it, dwell on it. If it's not true, don't. If you were to come in for counseling and sit with me and you were saying, Josh, I'm struggling with this, these thoughts, they, they can't get out of my mind, they continue to ruminate again and again and again, what do I do? I think the first thing that we sit down and we take a, a collection, we begin to write down all the thoughts that you have, and the first question is, which of these are true? Not, not, not could be true, not on, on some level may actually happen years down the road. But which of these are true today? If it's true, think on it. If it's not, it doesn't deserve your time and attention. And that, that, that would follow through. If it's honorable or just or pure or lovely or commendable or excellent or worthy of praise, if those things are there, then yes, give your mind's attention and heart's affection to it. But if it's not, it doesn't belong there. Practice living a life marked by Christ. I love that the Apostle Paul uses the word practice. Some days will be better than others, but church, we are called to keep going, to keep pressing on. But then there comes the promise. Here's the end of verse 9. And the God of peace will be with you. That is the promise. God will be with you. I love, I love, this is this Christianity. Christianity is the only religion in the world that God would come down to his people and be with his people. Knowing them fully and still choosing to be with them. In all the ways that we would look to the Father and we would deny him much like Peter would do or we, we would defame him in how we live and what we do, that God in his infinite grace for the people that, that he knows and that he loves, he comes and he stands guard at your heart and your mind and he promises peace that you can't explain. I know we don't have the time to go across this room, but I bet everybody in here could give an example of this. 
that in a moment in your life, that chaos, it was absolute chaos swirling around you, but all of a sudden, this peace began to wash over you, that you should have been chaotic like everyone and everything else, but you weren't. That's not because you had hit some transcendence. Or you have, you've ordered your mind in such a way to block out the bad and just bring in the good. No, that was God standing guard of your heart and mind. And for that, we give him praise. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This is the season for joy. This is the season for family and fun and leftovers on leftovers on leftovers. This is probably the season to fight over seasoning. I don't know. But this is also a hard season. A season where family members who you wished were there aren't. And family members that you wished weren't there are. This is a season where you wish you could do more, but your bank account says you can't. This is a season where you wish that you were together as your family, a husband and wife with kids, and for whatever reason and whatever has happened, that isn't the case today. This is exactly the reason why I'm telling you in the gospel, we don't try harder to do better, to gain God's attention and his love. It is his grace that sees us in our fallen state, and he comes, and he stands guard over us. One of my favorite depictions of God and his people come from Isaiah. It's not Isaiah 6, is the one we normally quote, but it's Isaiah 1. And Isaiah pretty much gets called down from heaven. He, God calls all of heaven and earth to pay attention, almost like a courtroom scene. He begins to to talk to Isaiah in a way that showing all of his and all of his people's struggles, indiscretions, failures, and it's almost as if Isaiah falls, his head falls more and more and more with each accusation. And it says that he takes out his hand and he puts it under Isaiah's chin. He says, he is the lifter of my head as if he were sad and God lifts his head. It says, though your sin were like scarlet, I will make it white as snow. There's beauty in the grace of Jesus Christ. The fact that he's near, there's no reason to fight. There's no reason to argue. There's no reason to let the enemy get a foothold in the church. And instead, we're called to let our gentleness be known to all. Not because you're good or you've worked really hard, but because the Lord is near. So don't be anxious about anything. Prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, present your request to him. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what about my mind? What if it runs? Mm -mm. It's not true. Don't, Don't think on it. It's not honorable, it's not pure, if it's not trustworthy, don't think on of it. If it's not holy, it's not godly, don't waste your time. Church, the Lord is near. So let us rest in him and rejoice in him, not just today, 
but every day that we have left until we see him face to face. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you for the gift of this day. We thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for my brothers and sisters across this room. Lord, for we are one in you. God, that in our individual salvation and in our individual relationships with you, you have called us to be one and united, being together for mission and for glory. And so, Lord, I pray that the enemy would not have a foothold ever in our lives or in the, the life of your church. Help us always remember that you are near and let that nearness cause us to rejoice. When the enemy shoots those flaming arrows into our mind and in our heart, thank you, God, for standing guard. We trust you. We rest in you. And as we move into this invitation time, Father, we honor you. Help us to respond rightly to all that you are calling us to. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray and we stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?